And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey folks, welcome into Aunt Waveland. It's the Chicago Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. You know what, that intro was too, um, that was too uh, happy. I need to... <laughs> I need to appropriately temper that one for because we're going to be talking about the Cubs season postmortem in this one. So, hello, folks. Welcome to Aunt Waveland's Cubs podcast. My wife left me. I'm Brett Taylor. <laughs> I'm joined by Sahadif Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Uh, haha, we've had our lulls. Uh, no, but seriously, so the Cubs obviously they got dumped in the uh, postseason by. The Marlins, and part and parcel of that is you have the Theo Epstein, uh, you know, season-ending press conference uh, that was Monday of this week. Uh, you know, I want to get, get give me give me your just sort of overall take from it because I think um, we've seen this obviously many times now, and we've we've seen it now three years in a row where it was sort of like a lot of the same talk, and not and that's not. Theo's fault it's like he's got to talk about what's available to talk about but it's like they've been very similar the last three years and so I was just curious before we get into any of the specifics what was your overall reaction to it if any yeah I mean I I took away the the talk of transitioning uh Theo essentially talking about how if it it, like the end is near for him that's what it really felt like dude we're gonna get to that just uh, general, general. No, you can say that if you want, but we are. Well, to yeah, no, I, I'm saying like in generally, that's what I took away. The the offensive issues. I think the fact that he brought them up again and it's the same stuff as far as kind of promising change. Uh, but he seemed a little maybe he was a, a little more direct with it. I don't know. I'd have to go back and actually look. I, I do remember that he listed uh, last year a uh, number of things that he wanted to change and player like the player personnel was part of that, but it, it just never happened. Right. Uh, and, and ultimately I, I think uh, I, I took away something big from it was, you know, everybody focuses on the, this is the same issue, the same issue with the offense. He was pretty clear. Like this isn't the same thing happening. There are some of the same issues, but it was not the same thing happening. And we need to address that too. Uh, why did this happen and how do we address it and fix it? I think that's a, a fascinating story to tell as well, because there's a there's a lot that needs to be done with this group. And uh, when when you kind of focus in on some of their issues and some of the issues that have been corrected over the years, you have to you have to understand why those changes were made and why those adjustments were successful and, and why are they not being applied as far as uh, the offense goes. Yeah, two things that stood out to me was what Theo Epstein did not say. One being, I am finishing out my contract next year, and I will be with the Cubs through October 2021. And to your point about the offense, guys, I mean, 
there was not a full-throated endorsement of the coaching staff. There was no like, yeah, everyone did a great job under you know unbel- uh, uh, you know crazy circumstances. They're all going to be back with Rossi next year, and I think that clearly, uh, while raving about the coaching staff, uh, you know Theo repeatedly pointed to the offensive underperformance, and so I think those are probably the two kind of takeaways that we'll be focusing on here uh, in October before we really kind of dive into the offseason. Yeah, I think that all sounds about right. I think um, uh, just a comment on a thing that stood out to me, we don't have to talk about it because we will. Uh, There will be plenty of time to discuss it, but I thought it was particularly notable that um, it, it wasn't apropos of nothing, but it was like not exactly responsive to the question. And yet Theo took the opportunity to make sure to emphasize that whatever the nature of the market this offseason, a truism through the history of baseball, he said, is that good players on one-year deals uh, have oh, that have been successful in the past have value. And whether that's value to us or value in trade, I mean, it was a very deliberate almost preemptive strike it felt like to the market of being like hey we know what you're gonna say about our guys you know they're down years they're gonna get an arbitration raise it's a one-year deal come on there's value there come on come talk to me there's value there um so we'll get to that i did i found that very interesting um but but understandably probably the biggest thing that people were talking about coming out of this um Cubs season ending press conference was about Theo himself. Uh, obviously, Theo Epstein has said in the past, and he reemphasized it again in this press conference, that his own personal philosophy is that uh, around the 10 year mark in, in any one place, it feels appropriate for there to be consideration to giving a change in the leadership voice, um, that you, you, you may yourself want to make a change. And you know, obviously next year will be year 10 and it's probably not a coincidence that he signed two five-year contracts and he hasn't backed away from that philosophy. And so we're in this really unique situation where everybody seems to know and be okay with the fact that you've got a top executive that's going to finish out only one year of his contract if he does. And then you have to make a transition. And, and we know this a year in advance. And so, you know, I'm left wondering about the ways that the Cubs can take advantage of that unique situation and that realization to make sure that nothing is lost in the transition time, um, that nothing, um, that just that there aren't opportunities for the development and growth of the organization is not negatively impacted by the fact that there is going to be this transition in leadership, whether it's this offseason or next. Yeah, no, I, I guess uh, in a way it, it it would be good. You know, we, we don't know whether Theo will leave or not, right? It's still that he didn't state adamantly that I will be around through the end of next season. Uh, it, it may be disconcerting for some, but I, I think as long as there's an agreement as to like uh, they they come to this on to the same page as to what the succession plan is he'll likely stick around to kind of guide the process and and be there for a smooth transition but to your point of of why this needs to happen and why it's important it's 
how many people have they lost over the last five years uh, that could be in line to be whatever Jed Hoyer's uh, right hand man going forward? Right. Uh, like the people that they've lost over the years, uh, particularly to the Diamondbacks. Uh, I think of that. Uh, th those are people that were in line to kind of help. And then Scott Harris as well. You don't have the natural uh, choice of who who will be the GM if and when jed hoyer is named team president uh when you when you look at uh the front office right now there's no clear choice for that so there and something that when scott harris left last year that was brought up was they need to start identifying the next uh crop of front office executives that'll lead this organization beyond jed and, and i think they've started to i think they identified some people over the course of this past year obviously very unique year and, and not ideal circumstances to do that but i think they did find some leaders that they trust it'll be i'll be interested to, i i think as long as things go as expected and theo sticks around for this year and jed is named as the, the kind of guy that's going to take over uh for jed's uh or for theo's uh role i'm curious i think the most interesting decision will then be who's next in line who do they promote who do they bring up to that gm level if this goes if this transition goes as expected if it doesn't go as expected if a week from now we're talking about something different then everything's up in the air right then then who knows what what led to Theo deciding that it's best for him to move on? Does that mean that Jed isn't the natural choice? There's so many things that happen if Theo doesn't stick around, but as long as he sticks around for this year, I think the biggest question that remains is who's next in line after Jed. Yeah, I think Theo comes back next year. I think Jed will ultimately get a promotion. I believe Theo and Tom have a good working relationship. I do not think... Theo is at all angling for a job this offseason. However, we've seen Theo's history in terms of some dramatic exits. We know how the Cubs operate, you know, how they somehow spun Joe Madden, you know, getting fired after lame duck season into this like win-win um, kind of kumbaya moment in, in St. Louis. And that, you know, Ricketts, I mean, he fired Jim Hendry in secret. And, you know, asked him to do a couple things for the organization, including s signing Javi Baez uh, as, as a to a first round deal. And I don't know, I can't get out of my head this idea that, you know, maybe, you know, a couple weeks from now, all of a sudden we get an email saying there's going to be a Zoom and, you know, Tom and Theo are there and saying how, you know, we've had lots of long, in-depth conversations and you know, we really went round and round about the future of the organization. At this time, I think it might be best to, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm, I'm paranoid or if I'm overplaying this, but I, I still can't quite get that out of my mind, even though I do not think that's going to happen. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, to tie yours and Sahadeh's points together, I think it wouldn't be a stretch to suggest that one 
maybe awkward is the right word. I mean, let's imagine a situation, which is not impossible, that the Ricketts family would like to transition to, um, you know, a, a different sort of family tree of stewardship. And if that were the case, you'd be looking at not Jed Hoyer um, being the successor. And in that case, maybe um, Theo Epstein and Tom Ricketts don't come to that understanding until, like you said, a couple weeks from now, they sort of have their conversations and they realize, okay, we want to go in a different direction. And then if you're Theo Epstein, maybe you don't want to stay to shepherd the process to someone else. Um, That's perhaps how you could see it happen that that it's maybe legit as of this moment that the expectation is that the Epstein will stick around for the transition process but that's only because they haven't had the conversations about um maybe specifically because they haven't had conversations about Jed Hoyer I here's why I think that's unlikely uh because they spent all of last offseason not restructuring uh, a flawed team but restructuring, you know, uh, adding a new manager, uh, reshaping the coaching staff, reshaping uh, everything in behind the scenes with the front office. And that was all uh, led by Theo and Jed. So if if it, it, I mean, and those and, and it, it's stuff that Tom Ricketts wanted done, right? It's to make this uh, team more sustainable for the future player development and amateur scouting if those things aren't done right you can't have this sustainable uh, success for the future you can't churn out prospect after prospect and and when you know John Lester's contract uh, ends there's a, there's not a pitcher to take his spot right away because they didn't uh, you know draft and develop pitchers properly or how they wanted to or as expected right so they uh, made that drastic change and that was led by Theo and Jed. Uh, they hired David Ross, spearheaded by David, uh, by David, by Jed and Theo. Right? These are guys that had a very close relationship with David Ross, and th- they're very excited about what he brings to the manager spot uh, now and and in the future. So, to for it, if Tom Ricketts all of a sudden decides that that's not what he wants, that he wants a completely different voice. That's a that's a few years wasted here. That's many years wasted of transition uh, that he should have uh, taken care of. If he's that unhappy with this season, it would have to be off this season, right? That he would have to, like, why would you allow them that power to make such drastic changes to the organization if you weren't happy with their leadership and, and what they could do? Uh, it, it, that's where I, I have a lot of trouble believing that Tom Ricketts may sit down with them and say, you know what, I'm uh, I'm good with what you guys did for a decade. I want to bring in my own people now, a different group that has that's not from the Theo Epstein tree or whatever, a completely separate group. That's why I have a little, uh, that's where my pause is. I still agree with Patrick where I wouldn't be shocked if something weird happened. Uh, we've seen it before in baseball. Uh, things happen. I, I still, uh, but my, the likeliest scenario, and I'd say pretty likely, is that uh, what we've already laid out, a, a smoother transition from Theo to Jed, and this front office as is, is uh, very different than it was a year, a year and a half ago. So that that was the major transition. Yeah, I mean, we all know what's gonna gonna happen. It's like they're gonna bring back the same exact group of hitters. They're gonna sign no big name free agents. They're gonna sign a bunch of minor league deals. Throw stuff together. Rossi's gonna be talking about the back of the baseball cards, 
and all the hitters are going to be saying, we just needed 162 games, then they're tank next September. We all know that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I, like, we need stuff to talk laugh. about, but I mean, that's probably yeah. going to happen. <laughs> I, look, we laugh because it's hilarious, but it's hilarious because it's just almost yeah. certainly going to be the case. And, you know, I get, I, it strikes me hearing that because we, you know, I think back to last off season and how, you know, I feel like we've forgotten, not us three, but like sort of the culture of, of the Cubs space. We've forgotten that the overarching narrative other than the luxury tax stuff in January and February this past year was that the Cubs were going to come to midseason. And if they didn't look like a world series winning team, they were going to sell. It was, that was, that was the plan. I don't know how out loud and spoken it was, but I'm a million percent confident that that was the plan because that was going to be the opportune time since it didn't manifest itself over the off season. It was going to be selling in July. And of course, everything changed completely out of their hands. And so now I wonder if, if, uh, you know, as we look to fill that void, this off season of what we're going to talk about and inevitably as these trades don't happen because these guys have no trade value in this particular market with one year left. I mean, we can hey, get those into are that. valuable. Theo told I know you this. He told, methods. he said, he said it's a one year. It's, it, it was a rare, by the way, it's a rare moment. And, and I, you know, we've been doing this for nine years now and I get accused of being just a total Theo Epstein sycophant and, and it's like, I always have to push back and I'm like, no, it's like, I don't agree with everything Theo Epstein does because he's Theo Epstein. I agree with most of what he does. Cause I'm like, that's how I see the game too. Like it, we just, I just sort of have always thought about certain things in the same way. And, um, that was a rare time where, you know, he said that and I, I'm like, boy, it makes me think maybe I'm an idiot. Cause I think those guys have just no value at all. All and we'll see. Like a lot of that's uncertain. It's going to depend on the market. But anyway, I, I'll say this. I'll say this. It's better to have a guy coming off a bad season that you know has a history of success, right? And he's on just a one-year commitment to try and trade that guy than a guy that's on like, uh, like say Jason Hayward had been good for a few years and then was coming off a dreadful season. You don't want to try and trade that three years, twenty million per for a guy coming off a dreadful season. But a guy that's coming off a dreadful season that's had a lot of success previous to that, it's easier to trade that guy when he's on a one-year deal than when he's on a four-year deal. So I get what he's saying there. I don't think that means they're very valuable or that you get what you're looking for or like some impact prospect uh, unless, you know, weird things happen. But I, I think if you want to look at it through that lens, I can understand where he's coming from. Yeah, as a <laughs> that is a, a helpful way to contextualize that in a very courteous uh, way. But anyway, my my only point was, and we can stick with that stuff if you guys want to to jam on that a little bit more. But I think that what we're going to find is late in this off season, exactly like Patrick said, you know, that well, there won't be significant changes. They will have added. Um, some interesting guys from probably a really robust mid-tier free agent pool. And then we're going to be left again to have that conversation of like, well, you know, I think what they'll do is they'll run it out. And if they're really, really great in the first half, they'll just push it. It'll be one last hurrah. And if they're not, if they do not look like a championship caliber team, they are going to sell in July. And, um, 
I think that all tracks interestingly with the the Epstein final year stuff, the transition stuff, because you want to make sure that everybody, if you're going to, however you're going to proceed, you kind of want to make sure that the next group of guys is on board with whatever that plan is. But I think ultimately what we're doing is we're circling the drain of, of the reality that there is no good, obvious path this offseason for the Cubs. There's, there's just about three shitty paths that are born out of the lack of development from certain guys, the pandemic, and the lack of success at the team level the last three years. Like, that's just the reality. Yeah, they're not addressing their issues by being aggressive in the free agent market. We That's 99% certain, right? So what, what they need to do is figure out a way to get something of value in trade because they just cannot come back with the same group. I mean... <laughs> Like maybe he he said it in the past, but Theo flat out said it this time. We can't come back with the same group, uh, dude. He, he totally said that. <laughs> he totally. Has like, he said that? There was the rec- There was the reckoning a couple of years there ago. The reckoning, there was there was all that stuff, but he never cl- <laughs> flat out said we can't come back with the same group. I'm not saying that that means he'll go out and definitely make trades, but he's flat out said it. Okay, he said they cannot come back with the same group. And I 100% agree. And I like watching this offense all season long. I was like, I can't believe I have to watch this again. And it was done differently. They failed differently, uh, <laughs> but they still failed. And it was maddening to watch. And and the fact and if it and if they come back with the same offense, it's a failed off season. That's that's the bottom line. Unless for some reason they decided to spend and they add someone in that way. But there's no way you can justify coming back with the same offense. They, they may. I agree that in all likelihood that's the way it looks because of the numerous reasons you laid out. But it, it's it's going to be it, it's it's essentially unacceptable, and it's not. And we can't be lulled into a sense that you know what maybe because of X, Y, and Z uh, it could work. And, and surely yes, maybe it could. But I'm not going to predict that it will because it just can't we can't keep doing this we just can't i I do want to give (laughs) theo props for you know i realized i was pushing the conspiracy theories earlier that you know he really he doesn't lie to the media or the fans when he's doing these zooms i mean i think he went 61 minutes yesterday and it kind of got cut short a little bit but it was still like I think 22 minutes shorter than what it was the previous end of season uh, media session. And that, I don't know, I'm just thinking about like every college football or basketball coach ever who said, you know, who just flat out lies and says, oh, I'm coming back next year. And then, you know, they're in like, uh, you know, a totally different state for a totally different team, like a a week later. And I think his – his transparency has been, you know, much appreciated and gives him, you know, a real benefit uh, of the doubt here. And you could already see, you know, he's he's definitely not conceding next year when he says we have, you know, a lot of cards to play and a lot going for us. And, you know, he is right as maddening as the offense is in terms of, you know, Darvish and, and Hendricks, um, you know, a, a group of hitters who will be, you know, really motivated this kind of pitching infrastructure, but they're just going to have, they're going to have no margin forever this off season. I mean, they're going to have to get these bottom tier discount free agents. Right. And, you know, they had what, like one bullet to fire and they did it on Steven Souza and DFA'd him in the middle of a double header. Um, 
Um, did Jose Martinez get a hit as a Cub? He did <laughs> no. not. Okay, so, not, not, not a one. Not picking hard. on him, but just like <laughs> if you're gonna try and kind of tailor this offense, you kind of got to get some of these other complementary moves right if you're kind of in this rut. So I don't. I like your circling the right. drain metaphor, Brett, but I think we, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You you know what? You opened me up to positivity right there and here here it is. The because of the nature of what the team is that they developed over the years, they haven't had a lot of off seasons where they needed to try to do on the offensive side what they have successfully done frequently on the pitching side. And that's go after those lower tier sort of buy low one special skill guys and bring them in and incorporate. And they, they have genuinely had a lot of success uh, on the pitching side with that, including with the bullpen this past year. I really like a lot of the moves that they made and uh, maybe now their second try, you know, having learned some lessons on, on the offensive side last year to that approach and, and perhaps with an even more robust free agent market, um, in that group, maybe they will, you know, maybe they will be able to find the right, like two guys to incorporate into the mix that will, uh, fundamentally reshape the, the lineup. And it'll, it, you'd, you'd be able to describe it as just running it back, but it's like, no, but they added like these two little pieces. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it sure seems like this is unfair as hell. I can't even believe I'm going to say it, but I'm going to say it. You know, when they added Ben Zobrist and Jason Hayward, it was this, now these are top tier free agents, but it was the same kind of thinking, right? It was like, well, we need some guys that are a little higher contact, a little more discipline at the plate, give a different look to the pitcher. Uh, I mean, that, that certainly worked, right? I mean, I don't know what happened in 2016, but I feel like I remember it was a pretty good outcome. So basically what I'm saying is the front office needs to, add a couple guys from the bottom tier for cheap that uh, produce at uh, that level. And then win the world series in 2020, and they cost $240 million combined. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they need to do it for $4 million. They could, uh, they could certainly add DJ LeMahieu and Michael Brantley and add a new dimension. Unfortunately, neither of them are coming on the cheap and yes. they're all, but you know, a hundred percent out of the free agent market. As far as the top tier guys, like those guys will be, Indeed. I actually just, uh, if I can plug a minute, I did a little, uh, the calculation on the payroll situation as it stands uh, over at Bleacher Nation. And if you believe that payroll is going to drop pretty dramatically next year, which we do, you know, 25% plus, I did some back of the napkin on that. Um, the Cubs may have only as much as eight to 10 million to play with this offseason. 
it, it wasn't pretty. I, you know, I did the numbers and I was like, oh shit. This and is... that's what they like to leave for uh, trade deadline acquisitions too. They yeah. like to leave that little wiggle yeah. room. So suffice so. to say, um, yeah, I think we should all be bracing for a, a, a quiet off season at the top of the market, but a potentially interesting one internally. Uh, I mean, there is maneuvering that the Cubs can do to open up some salary. Um, and I do, again, I'll say this a lot because I believe it. I think that the free agent market is going to be very interesting this year in, in a unique way because I do think we're going to see a lot of non-tenders because um, a lot of the issues facing the Cubs financially are not even remotely unique to the Cubs. So, uh, yeah, is that good for this one? I'm going to leave it there, guys. We good? Yeah? Mooney, you look like maybe you got one last little uh, sly bit you want to slide in. No, I, I'm just saying how we're going to keep talking about this all off season, so there's no point in me, uh, you know, going, going, going save, extending myself. Yeah, don't don't season, yeah. don't uh, don't blow your wad now. Um, so let's uh, wrap it then. This was good. Uh, that's that's our post mortem of the post mortem. Uh, this is on Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at the Athletic, which you can of course get on the Athletic app or any of the podcasting services where you enjoy listening to podcasts. That's Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Check out their excellent work at The Athletic. Uh, I don't even know if I'm supposed to tease it, but I'm going to anyway. Don't worry, I won't spill any beans. Sahadev says he has something pretty interesting coming out this week. So you're going to want to be looking for that at The Athletic. Uh, And I'm Brett Taylor. You can check out my stuff at Bleacher Nation. Thank you to our producer, Michael. Just wanted to, to shout there buddy we don't always get you in the mix so thank you for your diligent work behind the scenes oh you switching your screen i thought you like disappeared on us you're like oh i don't want to be involved in this so uh thank you to all for listening we will be back at you soon take care be well As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.